go out this morning rejoicing, remembering, fired up, ready to go, because He is able. Say it with me. He is able. And thanks be to God that He is. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Today we are continuing our series of studies entitled Contagious Church, and today we're turning to 2 Timothy chapter 1 as we read together the first 12 or so verses, and you'll find it on page 1852, page 1852 of the Church Bible. Today our subheading is Contagious Discipleship, and we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1 beginning at verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul's last epistle. He is writing from a Roman prison cell. He is about to be beheaded over the next few weeks, and so he's writing his final epistle to his good friend, in fact, his beloved son, as he calls him, whose name is Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace has given us in Christ this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our savior Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel and of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher that is why I am suffering as I am yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him for that day. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of His holy word. Here in Second Timothy, Paul is writing his final epistle, as you know, to young Timothy, who was probably 35, 37 years old by that stage, and saying to him, Timothy, never stop learning. 
Engage with God. Pastor your people, but never stop learning. And over the last several Sunday mornings, as we have engaged in this new series of studies entitled The Contagious Church, we said in our first Sunday morning together, a contagious church is always a place of grace. Always a place of grace. Secondly, it's a place of learning. And first and foremost, it's a place of engagement with the living God. Our second week, we looked at contagious worship. And there we said worship is not so much something we do, it's not so much an activity, but it's part of our identity. It's who we are. It's the natural outcome of a spiritual income. We then looked at contagious leadership, contagious calling, and this morning as we come to contagious discipleship, we've come to 2 Timothy. Because here is the Apostle Paul writing in warm, intimate, loving, gracious terms to Timothy. The Apostle Paul was known throughout his life for being tenacious, tough, fiercely resolute. But in the opening words of this epistle, you find a man of grace and concern and love and prayer. And so look how he begins. Chapter 1, verse 1, he writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, let me pause right there. Paul, an apostle. Because Paul knew this, that Timothy, who was the pastor of the church in Ephesus, would read it to his congregation the following Sunday. And what he's saying right at the very beginning is this, that what I'm about to say is not so much helpful hints on how to live the Christian life, but what I'm about to tell you comes with apostolic authority. It comes from the divine. Here are godly, biblical principles for growing and developing in your faith. And that's why he begins the way he does. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And he writes, verse 2, to Timothy, my dear son. And we see that echoed very quickly again in verse 4. He says, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I will be filled with joy. And the last time they parted, when Paul was saying to Timothy, farewell, they were in tears. Over the last 15 or 17 years, New Testament scholars su suggest, you'll find some of this in Acts chapter 16, that Paul was instrumental in bringing Timothy to Christ. And for the past 15 or 17 years, they worked together, they prayed together, they traveled together, they established churches together. And now, as Paul has been sentenced to death, he was to be beheaded in a few weeks. He's writing to Timothy to tell him, number one, how much he loves him. He tells him of the high regard he has for him. Timothy, my son, and I long to see you so that I will be filled with joy. Now, hold that thought for a second. Let me take you back again over the last few weeks. Over the last five or six Sunday mornings together, as we've been engaged with the theme Contagious Church, we've learned a great deal. 
We have asked ourselves, what does it mean to genuinely become involved in intergenerational connectedness? And if you were with us that second Sunday, I said, as I look out on a Sunday morning, I will see 90-year-olds and 9-year-olds sitting in the one congregation. Intergenerational connectedness is important for us, along with that personal relationship. So important. And you see it laid out here. Talk about an intergenerational connectedness. Timothy is late 30s, Paul, in all probability, mid to late 60s, that genuine bond of love and grace and prayer existed between them. And more than that, not only does he say, I long to see you, not only am I praying for you, but Timothy was fully committed to the relationship as well. Because Timothy understood that, that over the years of walking alongside Paul, of engaging in ministry with him, of growing and developing personally, he knew this. He knew that the depths of Paul's prayers were just staggering. He knew that the warm encouragement of his letters had made a significant impact in his life. The wisdom of his counsel, his extraordinary devotion to Christ, had had a powerful molding and shaping effect in the life of young Timothy. And the bond is so deep, he continues to write that, Timothy, my beloved son, Timothy, I long to see you. Now, hold that thought for a moment. And notice what else Paul writes Verse 5, he says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. Now, think about that. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, when you read this to the congregation next Sunday, help them to understand what I'm saying here. Help them to grasp the significance of this, because, Timothy, you had the enormous privilege, that incredible privilege of being raised in a Christian home. And he's saying, Timothy, please encourage the church at Ephesus to be contagious. Let them see that intergenerational connectedness. Parents, grandparents, if you are listening this morning, let me encourage you to do this, that when you have wee ones around your home, enable your home to be a place of life, life-giving, life-affirming, a warm, safe environment where your children can't wait to be around you, where they know they are prayed for and cared for, and you pour your life into their young lives, shaping and fashioning them. Let them see what Christ-like living should be. It starts by contagious discipleship in the home, right there. Paul is saying, Timothy, instill that in the church at Ephesus. Let them see the value and significance and worth of that. Let the Christian home be a place that is life-affirming and life-giving. And then Paul takes it a step further. Notice what he says next. 
He then says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. The gift of God that is in you. Now, why is Paul saying that? Well, for this reason. Timothy was not a natural leader. He was not the sort of individual that would immediately step up, bring purpose and focus and direction to a project or a conversation. In fact, he was the opposite. He was shy, diffident, was much happier standing in the background. But Paul is saying to him, Timothy, fan into flame the gift that God has given you. Don't let it become dormant. Don't let it be a useless gift. Use it, develop it, put it to work for God's glory. In fact, if you're familiar with First and Second Timothy, you'll also know that Timothy felt that he was probably too young to be the pastor at the church in Ephesus, and had taken some criticism for it. In fact, further on in Second Timothy, Paul says to him, Timothy, don't let anyone put you down because you are young. And elsewhere, he says to him, take a little wine for your tummy's sake. He probably had difficulty with digestion. Quiet, shy, problems with health, on the young side, not the natural leader. Earlier this year, we spent eight or ten Sundays looking at a series entitled Radical Discipleship. And we looked at one of our first Sundays, Sarah and Abraham. We also looked at Nathaniel and Ruth and Mary and Martha. And we looked at Matthew as well and Peter. And as you read through the Scriptures again and again and again, you see this principle coming into place, that God never calls the enabled, but He enables the called. Let me say it again. If you're taking notes this morning, put it down. God never calls the enabled, but He enables the called. And He's saying to him, Timothy, please understand this. Timothy, I won't be around forever. And Timothy, I need you to get this, that He has given you a spectacular gift. Fan it into flame. Set it on fire. Get moving. Serve Him. Encourage others. Equip them. Enable them. Strengthen them. Timothy, that's the gift God has given you. Now, hold that thought for a second. Whenever we welcome new members to First Pres, we ask on the Sunday morning that they join, they usually come and stand at the front of the church, and we will give them membership vows, and there's five or six of them. And the first two relate to their relationship with Christ and their walk with Him. And the third vow is this. Will you, be a faith, will you be faithful to Christ in your time commitment, involving yourself in at least one area of the church's life where you are taught God's Word in addition to a Sunday morning worship service, and one area where you encourage and serve others? Let me remind you of what that said. Will you be faithful in your time commitment to the things of Christ? 
Will you be actively involved outside of a Sunday morning worship service in a place where you are learning God's Word and then a place where you can serve? And we expect that of our members. And that sets the bar pretty high. And we have high expectations because we take discipleship very seriously. Hold that thought. Let me give another illustration and then we'll come back again. In the course of any seven-day period here at First Presbyterian, there are something between 57 and 61 opportunities for small group Bible study. Our ladies sometimes meet on a Tuesday morning or a Tuesday afternoon or a Thursday morning. Our men sometimes meet on Friday morning or Thursday afternoon. Our youth sometimes meet on Sunday night and Wednesday night, and there's a multiplicity of small group Bible studies, not simply here in our building, but sometimes certainly here in terms of Sunday school, but all too often out there in small community groups as well, where eight, nine, ten folks will get together, sit around the Scriptures, open it up, seek to learn from it, and then apply it to their lives. And why we ask members to be actively involved in a small Bible study group is for this reason. Because we are made for community. I can't honestly think of a Christian who grew in their faith when they isolated themselves and simply read the Scriptures and prayed on their own. It happens, and thankfully it happens, but it's rare. But when someone becomes actively involved in community life of a small Bible study group, they learn. They learn in community. And they learn in community to be accountable and to serve. And all too often, that begins to manifest itself into fanning into flame the gift that is within you. Do you remember back in April this year when we had our Grains of Grace weekend? And we packaged over 274,000 meals for members in the developing world. Do you remember that? And it was often supported and encouraged by Sunday school groups. Koinonia and Agape and Crossroads and Journey and so many others. And men's groups and scouts groups and ladies Bible studies and youth groups. Learning in community takes us to that place of service and developing and fanning into flame the gift that God has given you. And you may be saying, Richard, I hear what you're saying, I agree with what you're saying, but that's not the kind of person I am. I don't think I could ever become actively involved and lead a Bible study group. I couldn't sing in the choir. I couldn't play a musical instrument. I couldn't serve as a deacon or an elder. That's not me. Remember Timothy? Diffident, painfully shy, quiet. But God enables the called fan into flame the gift that God has given you. Because when you find yourself in a small group learning and serving, you're also being equipped. And that's the point when you find yourself doing what? Engaging in radical, gospel-driven personal relationships. And that's where we were last Sunday, and we see it right here again. 
And Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, and Timothy in particular, engage in those sort of relationships. Fan into flame the gift that God has given you. Now, hold that thought for a moment. And let me probe a little deeper this morning. And allow me, please, to probe with all of the pastoral sensitivity I can, because this morning we've been looking mainly so far at our spiritual life, and we have talked about learning and serving and equipping and growing and fanning into flame the gift that God has given you. Spiritual life. Now, we also know that if we don't look after our physical life, if we don't eat the right types of food, if we don't get enough exercise, if we don't get to bed at a good hour, our life physically will begin to deteriorate. So, the spiritual and the physical go hand in hand. But allow me to probe that little bit more and ask you this morning, how are you doing emotionally? Have you found yourself over the last three, four, five, six weeks, three, four, five, six months, found yourself so busy, under so much stress, you're driving to your home after a full and busy day praying that your spouse and your children have had a great day because you no longer have the energy to deal with anything else. Is that you? Have you found yourself waking up in the morning angry, looking to be offended, critical at everything and everyone from the wallpaper to the weather? You've become cynical and constantly putting others down, and no room for prayer or engagement with God. And the once rich, vibrant prayer life that you once had, it's been months since you were there. Does that describe you? When Paul says, Timothy, fan into flame the gift that God has given you, Timothy, remember this as well. He has given you a spirit of power, not of timidity, of love and self-discipline. And here's the self-discipline part. Are we strong enough to step back and turn that high-powered lens of criticism that we have so often shown on other people to turn it internally and look at our own lives and say, Father, am I in a good place emotionally? I know I'm snatching five minutes of prayer here and there, reading an odd passage in the course of the week, but I'm just too busy. Is it time to step back and say, Father, please engage with me. Teach me. Show me. Allow me the opportunity this week to begin to see my life in a whole new light. Grant me, please, the power to examine myself begin to step back and to change and to reform and to be renewed by your love and grace. Intergenerational connectedness, personal connectedness, 
learning, serving, equipping, growing, fanning into flame the gift God has given us. And it often starts in here. And let me wrap things up this morning as we jump down the rest of the passage to verse 12. And notice what Paul says there. Halfway through verse 12, he says, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him for that day. Remember who is writing. It's the Apostle Paul. He is, as you know, about to be beheaded. Over the next couple of weeks, that's exactly what will happen. And nowhere in First and Second Timothy does Paul hold a pity party. He doesn't write to Timothy and say, Timothy, do you realize what I'm living with? Do you realize the injustice of it all? Do you realize that I have been faithful to Christ all my life, and this is how it's to end? Isn't that deplorable? That's not the apostle. And what Paul writes is this, I am persuaded that he is able, and he's facing death, and his life is going to be cut short, and it matters nothing to him because his contagious discipleship is birthed and grows in a contagious relationship. I am persuaded that he is able. And it's those three middle words that I want to leave you with this morning. This is your takeaway this week. This is what I need you to take home and apply and remind yourself of. He is able. If you've come this morning discouraged, despondent, ready to give up, He is able. If you are finding that you're never more than two steps forward and three steps back, He is able. If you are disgusted and defeated at the gravity of your own sin, He is able. If you are uncertain and fearful of the days and weeks and months to come, He is able. That's how Paul finishes this first section. And beloved, if you are here this morning and wanting to be encouraged, wanting to be strengthened, falling back on the sufficiency of Christ Himself, go out this morning rejoicing, remembering, fired up, ready to go, because He is able. Say it with me. He is able. And thanks be to God that He is. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this passage of Scripture this morning. Thank You that we never stop learning and growing, being equipped, being called to service. Father, thank You for the incredible privilege it is to be part of a contagious church who love You and seek to serve You. Enable us, please, to fan into flame the gift You have given us. And enable us, please, to supremely remember that You, the living God, are able. 
Bless us, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Due to program changes on Fox, First and Foremost will be airing at 7 a.m. on Sunday, November 1st. We will be returning to our regular time the next week and we'll continue our study of what it means to be a contagious church. Have you missed a Sunday? Go to our website to watch previous broadcasts, download a podcast, or purchase a CD or DVD. And don't forget to connect with First Pres by liking us on Facebook and Twitter, signing up to receive emails, or requesting prayer online.